Good morning. Come on, y'all do better than that. Y'all know I'm about as uncomfortable as I've ever been in my life, so let's try this again. Good morning. Thank you. That's better. I appreciate that. For our first-time guests, I do this every Sunday so for the last several months, so I'll do it again today. If you can remember only one thing from today's message, this is it. Jesus says that we need to hold on to both grace and truth. I'm, I'm glad you're here. And I want us to really open our hearts, not just about the LBGT issue. Have you ever noticed that there are people out there that are different than you? And I'm not talking about sexual orientation. Anybody here ever noticed that there are people different than you? Raise your hand if you have. Have you ever seen anybody that look different, act different, dress different? How do we respond, not just in, within the issue of human sexuality, but how do we speak into our culture that is so different than what most of us grew up in? The title of this sermon series is Messy Grace, not because God's grace is messy, but because God's grace steps into the messiness of our lives. I need to be upfront and honest with you. I'm going to be sharing a lot of stuff with you in this next four Sundays. Most of it is not mine. Most of it came, and I owe a, a great deal of debt to Caleb Calton back in his book, Messy Grace. I noticed he liked my video on, that I posted on the book, uh, both our Facebook pages, and I was humbled and honored that he watched it. Uh, we've got copies of the book. The 7th Street Foyer is over here. We have, and, and they're available for $11. That includes sales tax. And if you hadn't got the money with you this week, we trust you. And if you hadn't got the money, we still want you to take it. As I said, if those of you who love to journal, there's a journal out there. And I think it's, uh, it's $9. And so pick up one of those. And if we get rid of all of them, I've got a connection. And Kyle at Lifeway in Florence uh, brought those by for me. And we've got a consignment uh, issue, uh, agreement with him. So I hope that uh, you will be there. And, and over the next... Uh, Four weeks, we're going to be talking about the different aspects of God's grace that sometimes looks, looks a little messy. To better understand how God's grace intersects our lives and how we can talk with people who are different. There's four words that we will focus in on throughout this series. Of course, today's word is grace, okay? Then truth, love, and identity. Now, today, we, because of the rocking of the riverfront event, we're going to meet at 4 o'clock. And you saw in that opening video, most all the people that we will get to meet over the next four weeks. And so, we'll have our small group in four weeks. Margie has been gracious enough. She's contacted our nursery workers, and we will, because I know this is an adult conversation. That's quotation marks, if you didn't figure that out on my video. That's quotation marks. Adult conversation. So, we will have child care available Every uh, evening, and then we're at four, starting at 4 o'clock this afternoon. After this afternoon, it'll be at 6 o'clock, okay? And my hope is that it, when we're at the end of this series, that, uh, that even though everything may not make sense, total sense anyway, maybe, just maybe, we will all agree that we're going to start diving deeper into both grace and truth to uh, love people 
without regard to the labels, be it a sexual label or a cultural label, to learn how to love people. Not only the way that Jesus loves them, but the very same way that Jesus loves us. If you haven't noticed, the world likes to define you by your messiness. Oh, he's got a drug problem. She can't hold down a job. She, he, they can't manage their finances. Problems, problems, problems. And the world wants to identify you by that problem. But here's what God does. God looks through our messiness. When you, and when you follow Jesus, Jesus is saying, look, this is, you're my child. I love you. And I would do anything in the world for you. In fact, he's already done it. When he sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place, and all we got to do is just trust. Trust that that sacrifice is enough to overcome that obstacle that's between us and God. And that obstacle is sin. And, and you can follow Jesus. You can be with him forever. It's an amazing retirement plan. If you hadn't checked it out, check it out. I mean, it's really, really good. But I'm here to tell you a very simple truth, and it's not rocket surgery or brain science. And when you see it, you're going to owe me a steak dinner at George's, and I'm willing to collect on it. Not all Christians are like the stereotypes. And God loves messy people. Life is not a Hallmark movie ending. I'm sorry if I burst someone's bubble. Forgive me, please. God loves people with issues. God is very good at loving people, us and people who are not quite li like us. I want you to look at the person, person sitting around you. And of course, I know it means everybody's going to be looking at me too. So look at your left, right, back, front, okay? Look. I'm, I'm serious. We're not going any further till you look. Has everybody looked at everybody who's around them? Okay. Whoever you looked at, they got issues. See, we're all messy somewhere. We all have things going on inside of us because have you noticed that the, the word messy, how it's spelled? What's the first two letters of messy? Me. See, when you trust and follow Jesus, you got to confess, right? That's part of believing in Jesus. Jesus And confession is owning your own messiness, okay? It's admitting that you have not lived up to the standard that God has for us. I can't say it enough. That God loves messy people, and since God loves messy people, we need to love messy people as well. Now, if you have your Bibles or your mobile devices, uh, and the words will be up here, of course, on the screen, I want us to go into John chapter 8. Now, I love the gospel of John. I love it because of its profound simplicity. Even I can understand it. So, for me, John is the gospel for dummies because sometimes I'm a dummy, okay? And he really gets, gets into the heart of the matter. And I can handle the good news. So, let's, chapter 8, let's start at verse 1 and read a few verses. Now, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. 
a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law with the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they say to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. Now, let's stop right here. We'll get to the rest of the story in just a minute. I don't like this thing because something's just not right in it. Now, yes, in Deuteronomy 22, it does say that if anyone is caught in the act of adultery, they're to be taken outside the gates of the city and stoned. Okay? Now, this woman has been drugged, not with narcotics, literally drugged, through the streets, shamed. And then just thrown down in front of Jesus. <laughs> Where's the man? See, I got issues with that. Because that's what the law says. See, they're just using this woman just as much as that man was using her by having the affair. See, they don't care if she lives or dies. They, they, they want to use her to get something that they can use against Jesus, okay? All right, let's pick up, pick up verse 6. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger stop. Now, I told you I love John, but I got issues with John. What did Jesus write? Now, come on, John. Are you listening? Sure would be nice to know what it was that, that, that was so, because we know everything Jesus did and said had significance, right? So come on, John, why, why, why didn't you say what it is? Well, well, I've heard a lot of interesting theories, but I remember something the late Dr. David Nagley taught me one summer when I was at Emory. And, and, and Dr. Nagley, the late Dr. Nagley, introduced us to the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah is the Jewish commentary on the law. Y'all know what commentaries are? Does everybody know what? You know, commentary is what other people say about the Bible, okay? I've got a few different commentaries on my shelves, and every now and then if I need to know something historical, I'll, I'll look up in one of those. But, yeah, I want to know what Jesus says. I want to know what God says. I want to know what people say, not what people say about what Jesus said. But the Mishnah was like a commentary on the Talmud, which is the whole law, not just those, quote, Ten Commandments. By the way, there's more. Y'all do know it's more than Ten Commandments, don't you? you read, read the law. There's a whole lot more than ten in there. Anyway, so in the, in, in the mission that Dr. Nagley taught us, there is a, a, a commentary that goes to this effect. If you see someone about to sin, and it is in your ability to prevent them from sinning, but you don't, then you are guilty of the sin. Now, excuse me. To be, to be convicted of a capital offense, which adultery was under the old law, they had to have at least three witnesses, which meant they had to be close enough to see everything that was going on. Am I right? Nod your head like you're listening to me whether you are or not. Told you this is an uncomfortable subject. Which meant they were close enough 
to have prevented it from happening in the first place. Which under the Mishnah, which to them, the Pharisees and the scribes, carried just as much weight as the law of God. Well, we don't know what it was. Let's keep on reading. Verses 7 and 8. And they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. What did he write? Good grief, John. Okay, so Jesus got him, right? We know all this thing about throwing rocks, right? I mean, even people that don't know the Bible can quote that, that story. And listen, just don't, you know, if you're a stone thrower, now stone thrower is someone who casts judgment against other people. If you're a stone thrower, just remember this. Those same stones that you throw at someone else, and I'm not just saying about the, the LBGT community. If you throw a stone at anyone, remember this, that same stone is coming right back at you. Now, what does throwing stones at each other get us? Anybody know? Bruised and bloodied. All right, let's pick up again in verses 9 and 10. Now, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Now, her day had not been going so well, am I right? Maybe it'll have a happier ending, right? I could just see Jesus getting up. Where'd they go? Which way did they go? Which way? Where were they at? Jesus, I believe, had a great sense of humor. And I think he could, could do the hyperbole better than anybody else. And so they're gone, and it's just them two. And, and here's the big point that you need to remember, verse 11. No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. They say in this issue with sexuality, people are lazy. You see, even Christians are lazy. They would rather take sides, either on the, the grace side, where it doesn't matter what you do, you know, that God is good with it, you know, just find who you are, and, and God is okay with that, and, and go out and, and eat banana pudding, and your version of God is okay. That's the grace side. Then you got over here on the truth side, you got people say, uh-uh, there's those Ten Commandments, and there's that, thus saith the Lord. You see, when we choose sides, that's being lazy. Don't be like them. What does Jesus do? He is for both truth and grace. You see, there's a tension here. I thought I had a rubber band with me. I thought I put it in my pocket. Ah, I did. Okay. And the tension is, I know the Bible says this, but that person does that. 
See, that's the tension. Or the Bible says one thing, but I feel another thing. And when you feel that tension, of course, the question is, what do I do? Now, you've been around people who not only when it comes to sexuality, they've made life choices that you don't always agree with, or am I the only one that has family and friends that make choices I don't agree with? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. And you feel tension, don't you? You know why you feel tension? It's love. You see, here's that rubber bank. I meant to get a bigger one, but I ran out of time this week. And, and, and so if you're on the side of grace, and God is for grace, and that's all you hold on to is grace. There's no energy in this rubber band. There's no power in it. And if you say, well, I'm going to hold that rubber band by the other way, and you're going to hold on to the truth, but you're going to let go of grace, there's no energy there. The energy happens between the two. Where are you at, Shane? Let me see if I can hit you, see if this hurts. See if I can propel that energy that way. See, grace and truth go together. They're married. And you can't have one without the other. And the power of living between the tension of grace and truth is love. One of the reasons people didn't like Jesus was they couldn't figure him out. There were times when Jesus was gracious when they thought he should have been more truthful. And there were times when Jesus was more truthful when people thought he should have been a bit more gracious. He confused people, and that's a good thing. You should confuse people too because that means, that's what it means to live in the tension of grace and truth. See, it's, it's, up, it's up there on the, on the screen. The grace is, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm pointing at my screen, excuse me. The grace is, I'm not going to condemn you. That's not why Jesus came into the world, right? John 3, 17. Then he also, on the other end, says, don't do that anymore. See, that's the truth. But the grace is, he was willing to forgive and let go. Jesus is setting the example. Who is the person in your life that you need to live kind of in this tension between truth and grace. I want you to remember three things about grace. Number one, we need to be known for what we're for and not what we're against. It seems like the church, and especially in America, is more known for the things that we are against than the things we're for. Now, that doesn't mean we don't stand up for truth if others disagree with us. We do stand up. And there are times when we need to speak up. And you have to share what God's Word says. And choose then to love that person. And you always have to be for people. Jesus was for the woman but not for her sin. Be it grace or truth. We've got to have both. Grace without truth is cheap. Truth without grace is empty. It takes both. Let's be for people. Let's be for marriage. Let's be for people coming to Jesus. Isn't that a novel idea? What if we all just made up our mind? What we're going to be for is people meeting the real Jesus. Number two, 
we have to realize the difference between acceptance and approval. And there's a big difference. Now, some people think they're synonymous terms. They're not. Jesus fully accepted the woman. Hey, I'm not going to condemn you. But then he didn't approve of her life choice when he said, don't do that anymore. See, I believe anybody should be able to walk through our doors. Don't you? I mean anybody. It doesn't matter what they're about. Doesn't necessarily we mean that we approve of every life choice the people come in, but it doesn't impact the fact that we are called to love everyone, and especially the ones who are different than us. And again, when I say different, I'm not talking just about the LBGT community, okay? Anyone who is different than me. Yeah, you know, they could be of a different economic status, they could be of a different skin color, they could be of a, have different hobbies, different, it really doesn't matter. And, 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 and if we have anyone here this morning who identifies with the LBGTQ community, whether in practice or principle, I know that you have been told that to, to, accept, to accept someone who is gay, you must therefore approve of their life choice. And that's just not true. Jesus loves Randy. By the way, that's me, Okay. Does he approve of everything that I think, do, or feel? <laughs> Heck no. Not even close. But it never means that he stops loving me, he never stops accepting me, and he never stops working on me. Confession time, church. Jesus is not like some of the people who profess to follow him. Because you see, Jesus was actually involved in the lives of people who were messy. And he loved them. He was gracious. And he was truthful with them. Forget the words of condemnation, church. And please, if you have, I don't know, maybe you have never used this word, but I hear it a lot. Abomination. Do you know what is an abomination to God? And don't say gays. Sin. All sin is an abomination. It doesn't mean that the sin preference of someone else is more abominable, however you say that word, than yours, okay? It simply means whenever we live outside of God's intended design, it's an abomination. And we need to just quit using that word because remember, when you throw rocks at other people, they're going to throw those same rocks back at you. And what does it get us? Bruised and bloodied. Say that with me. Bruised and bloodied. See, here's the truth. Forget all of that stuff. I call it BS. Not what you think. Before sin. Okay? In the creation, before sin, God created sexual, you've heard me say this before a couple of years ago, God created sexual intimacy as a gift between husband, a man, and wife, a woman. And he blesses that sexual act. All other sex is outside of the blessing of God, be it premarital, extramarital, 
polyamorous, polygamy, it doesn't matter. It's not just limited to the gay community, okay? Any act outside of a faithful, loving, monogamous marriage is beyond the blessing of God. I believe. That's, that's what my tribe believes. Our tr- denomination. People not acting like it, but that, we believe it. I believe it. But here's what we also believe. Next slide. It doesn't change how I value anyone, anybody as a person at all, and that doesn't change the truth that Jesus loves all of us equally. God blesses one act of sex. Others are outside that blessing. And if we choose to live outside of that boundary lines that God has given us, then it doesn't change the fact that Jesus loves all of us equally and that I love everyone. You see, I want a church filled with people who are messy. I want to see this sanctuary full of people with issues. Drugs, gangs, depression, struggling with their sexuality. People who have marriage issues, financial issues, because that's what the church is. The church is a medley of broken lives that God has united together to glorify His Son, Jesus Christ. See, the church is filled with people with issues. It's the church that Jesus lived for, bled for, died for, rose for, and is coming back again for. That's what real church is. It's not a country club. If you're here this morning and you think you've got it all together, well, hear me. Hear me love you with grace. Hear me love you with truth. And here's the tension. You ain't got it together. We all have some kind of issue. Remember where you came from. If you think you got it all together, it's time to repent. It's time to confess again. And here's the last thing to remember, especially when it comes to this issue of of homosexuality, the LBGT community. The issue before us is the body of Christ. And I believe that the, like I said, I'm not comfortable with this. Can y'all tell? If you can't tell it, man, the Holy Spirit is upon this place. Because I am very uncomfortable. But I believe that the gospel speaks to and into every human situation. I believe there is a word from God found within the Bible that speaks into every mess. And it's my job to bring it out. And it's your job to understand it, okay? The issue is identity, not sexuality. Now, let's talk about that woman again. Did she have sexual sin? According to the definition of God, did she have sexual sin? Yes, thank you. Somebody said yes. Okay. But you know what her biggest issue was? Her identity. She was being identified by her sin. And she was identifying with her sin over God. People were identifying her with her sin over God's definition of her. And I believe even she was identifying with that sin over what God had to say about her. Now, I believe completely that the Bible says that having sex outside of 
uh, uh, having sex with the same gender is a sin. Outside of faithful marriage is sin. That's absolutely true. But we got to understand something with the people who identify with the LBGT community. Now, if you thought I was coming here to preach against gays or for gays, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you because that's not what I'm preaching about. Talk about how do we engage in conversation? How do we do just that? See, there's a deeper issue going on that we need to understand. See, for those of us who understand that God has blessed only one form of sexuality, when we tell someone who's outside that, well, let's just forget, let's just say, hey, you need to quit being gay. What we're really saying is you need to stop having sex with the same gender person. That's what we're trying to say. But what they hear is, you want me to give up my friends, my community that loves and supports me, that I can count on being there with me and for me. You want me to turn my back on them. Now, that's what they hear. See, people, real people, are an infusion or a fusion of, of experiences and joys, hurts, and pains. And all they're looking for is love and community. See, we've got to quit taking sides. And we've got to be for both grace and truth. You may be thinking, man, that's hard. I don't know if I can, can do that. I don't, I don't like teaching. Let me ask you a question. You got a pretty, do you think you got a pretty good handle on your personal understanding of God? We call that theology, by the way. Theology isn't a big word like mahogany. It's just simply the study of God. How many of you have ever studied anything about God? Raise your hand. You've ever, ever, ever studied anything? Okay. Guess what? You got a theology. You have studied God. And you see, you may say, well, I don't have any tension in my theology. Oh, yes, you do. How many of you believe that God is one? There is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's three. Explain that to me. You may say, well, water is, is, is liquid. I stay. That's just a, that, that. Explain how that happens. How can he be three and one at the same time? Before you try to explain it to me, understand this, that throughout the history of the church, every person who has tried to logically explain the Trinity has been burned at the stake as a heretic. Are you ready for that? Okay. We believe that Jesus is fully human was he, and fully divine when he was here on the earth. How many of you believe that? Okay. If somebody came in this morning or started walking down the streets of Sheffield saying, I am God, what are we going to do with them? We're going to gently corral them and put them in those rooms that have about six-inch foam wallpaper, Right? Because we say they're lunatic. How can, one, how, can, how, can, how can God be human? Guess what? We believe that God is sovereign, yet he holds us accountable. Because he gives us free will. I don't know how all this stuff fits together. God never gave me the job of figuring out how all this, this tension works out. So what I choose is I choose to live out in the tension. I wrestle and I struggle. If you were to ask me at the end of this service, do you believe the same things you did when you started? I said, next month, by the way, October, will be uh, 
what's 74 minus, uh, what's 2016 minus 1974? That's a long time ago. If I believe the same things right now that I believed back then, I'd have to say categorically no. God has taken me on a journey. Shoot, if you ask me if I believe the same things now that I believed 10 years ago, I'd have to say no. God is taking me on a journey. So why should it be any different? That's this tension. Why should it be any different from people who are different from me and you? And, and what it means to love messy people is to live in that tension. It's a wrestling match. Like this, the rubber band has no power, no energy. Hold the rubber band from the other end. There's no power. No energy. Love is in the middle. And it can get tense because there's tension. As our praise team comes up, we got to quit taking sides. I can't stress that enough. See, God is for both grace and truth. So why do you feel like you got to take a side? If Jesus was okay with being for grace and truth, why can't we? See, that's what it means to love messy people. Because to love them means that we love them in the midst of the tension that exists between grace and truth. And not only should we Love messy people. But trust me on this one, okay? Whether you've agreed with anything I've said, you've got you to say this, this is test to be true. God loves messy people. Let's pray. Father, we've been talking about each other. We've talked at each other. But our sin, oh Lord, has been we haven't been talking with each other. For those in the LBGT community, for those who dress different, talk different, have different interests than us, we've talked at them and about them. We confess, I confess, Lord, haven't always talked with them. So, God, I just want to ask you to take me on a journey, another journey, deeper journey. And I'll admit, God, I'm uneasy about it, but I know you're good. And I know you love messy people because, God, you've seen the mess that's in my own heart sometimes. The mess that's in my heart a lot of times. Stay with me, stand by me, and love on me. And you love me enough to step into the tension and speak the truth. May our hearts be softened, our self will help it to die. Help us to stand with you, Jesus. 
grace and truth. Forgive us, Lord, for making this mess. And I seek, O Lord, a revival where hearts and lives can come to you and know they are unconditionally accepted and loved and that they can trust you to take them on a journey.